Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor Evan. Fantastic offering. Oh, man. Welcome to Takeover Church, y'all. Uh, this, uh, this is what we do. We are, we are the renegades of revival. Amen. We are the renegades of revival. We are the strange green berets that actually believe the Bible and we give our all to live the Bible. Amen? That is who we are. Amen. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you because there's some new folks in the house. My name is Pastor Matt. Well, I'm a pastor and my name's Matt. But my beautiful wife, Adrienne, we're the lead pastors here. And it's great to have you this morning in the house of God. Are you grateful to be found in the house of God? Man, I just got hit with a word while we were in worship that there is a holiness beyond the hype. There is a holiness beyond the hype that we can get into songs and, and pastors and leaders. They can have the, the cool things and church can look good and there can be fashion. and There can be all these things that somehow in the last 10 to 15 years, the church has longed to glorify. But I am telling you, he is calling his bride back in this hour into a place of holiness that goes beyond the hype. Amen? Goes beyond the hype. COVID is where the hype church came to die and where holiness became reverent again because God was calling his remnant back into his temple. Amen? This morning, we are going to continue our series. It's really our prophetic word for all of 2023. We are not budging. We are not moving. There is not some great finance series to come up. There's not some relationship series to come up. There is nothing beyond Luke 12, 49, where Jesus said, I have come to cast my fire upon the earth. He's longing for a burning bride in the earth. A bride that can match the eyes of fire that he possessed, the hair of white, the wisdom of old, the feet that are burnished because they have stomped on hell. Amen. And I got to say, last week, my bride, Pastor Adrienne, crushed it, didn't she? Burned the ships. Come on. Come on. Fantastic message. And we're going to continue along stewarding that prophetic word because I got to tell you, friends, I've got to tell you. There is a revival that is deep in the heart of God, and I believe it's for Grand Rapids. I believe it's for West Michigan. I believe it's for the Mitten. I believe it's for the Midwest. And I believe today, if not us, then who? If not now, then when? If this is in the heart of God, why not us? And if it's in the heart of God, why not now? And I will give my life. We will give our time. We will give our treasures. We will give our talents. We will give every ounce of oil that we can squeeze from our olive-like beings before the Lord to pour it back out his feet to see his glory. Amen? That's what we do here. That's what we do here. So if you've got your Bibles, we love our B-I-B-L-E, don't we? We believe the Bible, don't we? Come on, every single word. Every single thing that disagrees with every single part of us, we die to it so that God can resurrect it in us. Amen? So crack open your Bibles. If you're taking notes, the title of my message this morning is The Burning That Breaks the Barrenness. The Burning That Breaks the Barrenness. The Burning That Breaks the Barrenness. And how many of y'all know we, we are going in? Come on, somebody. We got a hunk. We got a hank of meat we are about to bite off this morning. So get ready. 
meat and potatoes coming at you fast. First Samuel 1, 1 through 28. It'll be on the Sky Bible. I'm coming out of the ESV, as you can come out of whatever uh, Bible you like besides the KJV. Amen? It's more than a joke. It's, it's literally one of the worst translations of all time. It's just, it just sounds old and correct. Uh, but ESV is the most literal translation we have, so it's my, uh, it's my translation of preference because I want to know what the Lord is saying. Amen? First Samuel 1, 1 through 28. If you're there, say I'm there. If you got to look at the Sky Bible, say I'm looking. There we go. One, there was a certain man of Ramithian Zomophim. I'm so glad I can say that once to be done. Of the hill country of Arabim, whose name was Elkanna, the son of Jerham, the son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephorite. Jeez, help us, Lord. I'm sure there's revelation in those names, but I, uh, I need my eyes open. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peniah. And Peniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli and Hophini and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On that day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peniah, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb, And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, and as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. This is Peniah provoking Hannah. And as often as they went up to the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, he said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and she was deeply distressed. And Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She vowed, and, uh, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the afflictions of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be drunk. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman for all along. I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning, and they worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house of Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called him Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon 
As the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elk Anna, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained, and she nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her all along with a three-year-old bull, an elephant, a flower, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. And then they slaughtered the bull. They brought the child to Eli, and she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord for this child. I prayed, and the Lord has granted to me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Come on, come on. We're going to pray, and we're going to ask the Lord to royally mess us up this morning. Does that sound good? Fantastic. Father God, I love you. I am so grateful for how you have shown up today. God, I only say this. Lord, just, just hear your lowly servant this morning. God, would you just continue to come like this always, God. We long to host you, Lord. We long to have you host us. God, this morning, your presence is so thick, it's so tangible in this room, Lord. It's more. It's more than just lights and sound and some emotional manipulation. But God, when you come in the room, how can we help? but sing? How can we help but shout? How can we help but cry and be on our knees and weep before you because your glory is astounding. Your glory is everything that is right in the universe, refracting off everything that is wrong in us. God, we desire your holiness. We desire your glory. We desire all that you are. So Father, come. Holy Spirit, run a wild in this room this morning. Have your way. We are a yielded people. We say yes. We are open to you. More than that, we are resigned to you. We are resolved to you. Everything in us is open season for you today, Holy Spirit. Would you peel us away and make us look more like Jesus today? Father, I ask for a revelation. A revelation of just how glorious and how holy you are. And show us, God. Show us, Lord, what it looks like to be sons, to be daughters, to be saints and servants and friends of God. In Jesus' mighty name, we will get out of the way and give your son all of the glory. And a faith-filled church shouted it out. Amen. Amen. Come on. Am I the only one who met Jesus again this morning? Come on, somebody. Oh, man, what a time. What a time. I, uh, to be honest, I just don't feel, I don't feel like... I don't feel worthy. I don't feel worthy. He, he doesn't owe Pastor Matt that presence, that way he came this morning. He doesn't owe me that. I owe him to make a place for him to do that. I owe him to give all I can to keep the lights on here, the bills being paid, and for us to have Levites here lead us into his presence. Amen. That's what I give my life for. Oh, come on. The burning that breaks the barrenness. The burning that breaks the barrenness. And one more time, because your boy loves threes. The burning that breaks the barrenness. I do. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, my favorite trio. As we were coming in the summer, as we were coming in the summer, I asked the Lord, I said, you know what summer looks like in West Michigan. God, I'm not trying to fool you at all. 
it does not matter how close in on those Instagram pics we get. Father, the summer looks a bit barren in your house. I said, what do you want us to fixate on? What is the area you long to see your people burn in? Where do you want us to spend the summer? And Matt, he said, Matt, I want you to teach my people how to pray. Teach my people how to pray. And I said, Lord, that would be the honor of my life to teach you how to talk to God, how to hear from God, how to navigate and discern what is God, what is your flesh, what is culture, what is this world, and what is the one true voice of God, I would say, yes, Lord. Because to be honest, it's in the summertime that you separate the wheat from the chaff, that you see who truly loves the Christ or loves their life. So that means in the summertime, we can actually hit the depths of God all throughout the summer. We don't save our best messages to the fall when everyone's back in church and suddenly camping is no longer worship, but your Christ is. No, 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 no. We give God the best offering in the summertime because it's the few, but it's the remnant and she's burning. And she's hungry and she's thirsty and she's ready for a pure move of God. Amen. Do I got a burning people in the house this morning? Do I got anybody who want to intercede, who want to stand in the gap, who want to pray on behalf of themselves, our generation, our nation, our country, and our world today? Oh, I thought I was in church. I thought I was in takeover church. I said, do I have any burning people in the house this morning? I already knew the answer because you're here and it's July. That's my one summer obligatory smack <laughs> towards all who don't show up in the summertime. God bless you. Might not be the church for you because we all seasons, baby. Amen. So as I was asking, I was like, what are we going to do about prayer? And as I began to think and I began to pray into this and he's meeting me in my own place in the season. So friends, when we're going hard, it's because he is going hard on the inside of me. And it's amazing because it's, we can look at our prayer. We can look, because I hate it. I've said this a time or two, but I hate saying my prayer life. My prayer life is struggling. My prayer life is struggling. It's struggling because you call it a prayer life. It's struggling because you relegate and segregate a time and a place. And, and, and not that we don't meet with God at a time and a place. And I love that I keep dates with God every single morning and he meets me there every single time. But that's not my prayer life. That is called uh, disciplined liberty. Disciplined liberty. You see, friends, we, we so often, we hate when pastors are like, you got to be praying, you got to be in your word, you got to be tithing, you got to be worshiping, you got to be giving. And we start telling you all of these things that are the Christian practices and virtues that it looks like to actually follow Christ and represent him and look like him in the earth. Those things. We hate that. And we're like, pastor, you're legalistic. And we sound so religious, so haughty. Because we called our pastor out and we said, you're being legalistic, brother. It is stewing, not striving. Come on. It's marinating, not moving. Come on. We're not supposed to strive for the glory. We're supposed to bask in the glory. You're legalistic, pastor. You can call it legalistic. I'll call you a heretic. And I'm telling you, there is something called disciplined liberty where I am 
discipled and disciplined in a manner of which I meet with my Father, my Creator, my Lord, my King, my Savior, my Jesus, my Holy Spirit every single day. And guess what? He meets me too. Discipline liberty. Discipline liberty. I think it just got sexy sometimes to start calling people legalistic. And I'm like, you don't even know what that word means. And wow, I'm really sorry that your pastor told you to be like Jesus and you were offended. Get out of here. You know what I'm saying? We're not with that. We're not with that. I think God actually wants to have a relationship with you. And it's my duty to actually get you to fall in love with having a relationship with him. Amen? That's what we do here. And so I started thinking about it. I'm asking the Lord. I'm like, Lord, why do Christians not pray? Because it's true. I honestly, God, I think if we took a poll today, I think if we took a poll today, even in this very room, and we asked you, do you have a lifestyle of prayer? Not a prayer life, a lifestyle of prayer. Is your life given completely over, sold out, bought the farm, going after the great pearl of price, buying it? Are you sold out to a personal, intimate relationship with your father, your creator, every single day? I think the results would be staggering, deafening, depressing, and defeating. I think we would have people that say, well, I bow my head when the pastor gets ready to give his sermon. I wouldn't call that a lifestyle of prayer. Well, I say grace before dinner. I wouldn't call that a lifestyle of prayer. Well, when we're in worship, like I, I, you know, I sing the songs. I wouldn't call that a lifestyle of prayer. And I think that would be the main results that we would find. It would be deafening. It would be discouraging. It would be defeating. But I am telling you today, I am not a man of statistics. I am a man of the Spirit. And I refuse to believe that is the best for the church in this hour. But I believe today God is calling us back to a place of fervent prayer lives. I appreciate anybody this morning where it consumes us. Where our place of prayer, our secret place, is our fever. It's where we burn. It's what we long for the most. It is where we are the most connected to the one that makes all of this not just worth it, but makes it glorious. I don't believe we have a Jesus that simply just makes life worth it. I think we have a Jesus that makes life glorious. We don't have a Jesus that goes, well, I guess I'll stick around because he made it a little better. No, no, no. We have a Jesus who takes your life from the pits, sits you next to him in heavenly places, and by proxy, your life here and now becomes glorious. Problem is, I think most Christians, we still love ourselves more than we love Christ. And because we love ourselves more than we love Christ, we're found more often than not talking to ourselves about ourselves then we are found talking to our Christ about ourselves. And how do I know that? Because I think if you look at the life of a Christian, you will look at the life of a Christian, and if you see a life of a Christian that prays, their life will reflect that that Christian prays. If you look at a Christian who doesn't pray, their life will reflect the fact that that Christian doesn't pray. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? I can look at your life. I can look at the joy. I can look at how you put your head down and you keep going. You keep swinging because you know God is making a way and you are giving him every ounce of you. I can look at how you live your life because you are found as an intimate prayer warrior and intercessor with our God and your life reflects it. And on the same token, 
we flip that coin, we look at the other side, and we can see Christians who live defeated, who live beat down to beat down, who don't go from glory to glory, hope to hope, or strength to strength. They go from breakdown, depression, suicide, sadness, all these things, and I'm going, I can tell based off your life that you are not a person of deep, intimate prayer and communion with your creator. So I want to tell you quite simply today, prayer is talking to God. Prayer is talking to God. We're going to move into a whole other direction, but you and I, we got to get one thing straight today. Prayer is talking to God. If that doesn't exhilarate you, if that doesn't excite you, if that doesn't worry you a little bit, if that doesn't intimidate you a little bit, but that also doesn't draw you in very much, I think you got to get a bigger revelation of who God is. The fact that you and I, mere mortals, can be reborn in the glory of Jesus Christ, and now we have a direct line to the one who created everything. Creation bows when he says bow. Creation rises when he says rises. And you have a direct line to this God. It's called prayer. You want to know how I know that? Because when God speaks to creation, creation responds accordingly. Creation will testify, friends, to whether you and I are talking to God about creation. Creation will testify to whether or not you and I are speaking to God about creation. Why? Because creation always responds according to its creator. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. How do I know that? Because the bride of Christ, when she's praying, she looks like she's praying. She sounds like she's been in prayer. She acts like she's been in prayer. She's aware of things that are only found in the depths of prayer the body of Christ is. But when the bride of Christ, the people of God, the body of Christ, when we're not praying, we're not aware of what we should be aware of. We're getting taken out by silly sins that we grew out of in a previous season. Our life reflects whether creation is rising or bowing or around us based upon what the bride of Christ is doing. Friends, we can look at America today and we can tell if the bride of Christ has been praying or the bride of Christ has not been praying. And unfortunately, it kind of seems like we haven't been. Matt, you're kind of hitting some things this morning. Yeah, I was hoping to. Because I'm telling you, this isn't some religious thing legalistic idea and understanding. It is the most intimate, holy thing that you and I can do. You see, prayer is the most powerful tool in the Christian arsenal. Not even just simply the Christian arsenal. It is the most powerful weapon in all of the earth and even above the earth. The saints and angels and elders in heaven in this very moment still lift up prayers. Why? They're dead. They're with him. They're in heaven. What is the point of them still praying? Because prayer is still the single most powerful weapon of mass resurrection or destruction in all of creation. Prayer. And yet we live undervaluing overlooking, and some of us straight up forfeiting the most powerful weapon 
in your arsenal. It's prayer. It's prayer. Because you're not just shouting into the void. You're not just hollering into a vacuum that will go on for eternity, never run into anything, never be answered, just logging and echoing in the spaces. No, you are talking to, hear me church, God. I want to pray. I'd rather stop preaching right now, and I just want to pray. Because I'm telling you, when the saints, when the sons, when the daughters, when the friends of God begin to lift up their prayers, and I mean prayers, I don't mean just momentary amens, momentary head down, momentary moments of affection where we give God a kiss on the cheek by agreeing with some other prayer, but we get down in the place of the most intimate we can with our God. And we search the depths of him. And we stand in the gap for a generation, for America, for men and women whose identities are being stripped away because of Baal and, and, and Jezebel and the culture that rules and runs in our nation today. And if you don't think it's coming to Grand Rapids, clearly you weren't in Grand Rapids during the month of June. It's here, the spirit of the age, and God is looking for a burning bride in this region that will pray against Baal, pray down Jezebel, and pray in the hurting, the broken, the lost, the sexually corrupt, the morally bankrupt, and all of us who are in desperate need of Lord Jesus. Can I get an amen? So Hannah, so Hannah, I'm telling you today, I came here with two agendas. One was to worship my Lord Jesus Christ. And dang it, we did that. And I pray he was pleased with that offering today. And I, play, I pray he's pleased with this entire morning today. Because I just want to give him all that I can. My second agenda was to get you and I to a place of seeing. There is a place that we can burn with God to such a degree that it breaks off the barrenness in our life, the barrenness in our seasons, the barrenness in our gift, the barrenness in our bodies, the barrenness in our marriage, the barrenness in our city, the barrenness in our region. There is a place that you and I can get to where we burn with God to such a degree that a wellspring of life flows from a barren womb and a barren region because of the wellspring King Jesus. Amen? So what do we have to do with Hannah? Well, Hannah's in the Old Testament. Hannah is awesome. And Hannah prays a prayer. you got to hear me today. Hannah prays a prayer that is the most. I, I put it right up there with John 17. Hear me. Yeah. Hannah prays a prayer that is one of the most significant powerful, earth-shaking, and heaven-shaping prayers that have ever been prayed in all of history and throughout all of eternity. Like I said, I believe the Bible here. We don't just talk about Bible characters. I talk about people who actually lived, where God actually did things. This isn't mythological. We're not talking about Zeus and Hercules. We are talking about the living Christ. Amen? 
And so Hannah, she prays probably one of the single most powerful prayers in all of the word of God that has shaped the earth and has shaped all of eternity. And it's amazing in this moment, you see, she is the first wife of a guy named Elkanah. Elkanah is a lord. He has this land. He's kind of like Abraham where he's got all of this farm and land and people that live on it. And he's a lord of this plot of land. Well, most scholars and historians, both Christians and atheists alike, they believe and agree that Hannah was the first bride of Elkanah. She was the first. The whole reason Elkanah actually has a second one isn't because of how things were back then or, or how you know, God just, you know, he spoke on this obviously, but then he got Solomon being a crazy man. Uh, if you know, you know. If you know, you know. That man, uh, I hope he's in heaven. I really do because that boy needed Jesus. As wise as he was, he needed Jesus. And Hannah was barren. So Elkanah took a second wife, Peniah, who was able to apparently have a litany of children. She was able to have just a bevy. She, Elkanah and Peniah had many quivers, many arrows in their quivers. But then there's Hannah. And Hannah's barren. Hannah is clearly in distress. And see, this amazing thing happens in this moment. We see Every single year, they keep the same tithe and obviously the same time, and obviously they got their own local um, place where they would go to worship, but the whole region would come once a year, and they would meet at the temple of Shiloh. They would meet at the temple of Shiloh, and they would bring their fattened calves. They would bring their offerings. They would bring their sacrifice, and what we see here in this moment is he says... Elkanah is talking about what they're to do, and every single year he gives a portion to Peniah, a portion to his sons and daughters, and double portion to Hannah because he loves her. And every single year they do this. And they arrive at this place, and here's Hannah. Hannah has been provoked, it says. Paniah apparently just provokes her, just ribs on her, just hits her right in the rib cage and talks about her barrenness, talks about her unfruitfulness, shames her, mocks her, terrorizes her, just continues to poke and prod this woman who clearly already has identity issues, who clearly already feels like less than a woman. Your main contribution as a woman in society back then came from the children and specifically the sons you were able to bear. You're worth to your husband. So much so, we'll hit this later. So much so that Elkanah says, am I not worth more than 10 sons to you? Hannah is a barren woman. And everything about her is wrapped up in that barrenness. So Hannah prayed. Hannah prayed. Hannah, she goes to the steps, and the priest, Eli, he is there, and Hannah pours out a prayer, and the word of God is so specific. It says she was in distress. It says that she prayed. It says that she weeped bitterly. Weeped bitterly. And she gave God a vow. She made God a vow. What's interesting to me, friends, about this first and foremost is the fact that how long has she been barren? It says that Elkanah is the second wife, or yes, the second wife, and she has many sons and many daughters. That means for years they've been coming up to Shiloh. For years they've been worshiping. For years they've been tithing. For years they've been giving. For years they've been praying. And for years, Hannah has remained barren. The Lord has closed her womb. 
What's amazing to me is that Hannah didn't refuse to worship because she wasn't healed. She didn't refuse to go to service because the Lord hadn't met her in that place yet. She didn't refuse not to give. She didn't refuse community. She didn't refuse to be found in the house of God. She didn't refuse to remain committed in her marriage. She didn't refuse. She remained while she was waiting for her promise. And if that doesn't shine a light on our generation, I don't know what will because you and I, we would much rather have the blessing before we're in need of a breakthrough. You and I, we would much rather receive from God before we're ever in need or in debt to God. You and I, we would rather live in such a way that we receive all before we go all in. That's our generation. That's how we live. You see, you and I, we were raised up in a time and place of seeker-friendly Christianity. We're striving to be holy, to, to being consecrated before God, to cutting things out of your life and pruning areas of your holiness, to grow in the things of God is looked down upon. And we hear churches and people build ministries and brand off of be still and know that he is God. And in the midst of building ministry and churches and brands off be still and know that he is God We've allowed people to remain complacent in their infancy and we have not called them to grow up into Holy Spirit-filled maturity. Because the be still does not pardon you from the place of prayer. Be still actually is the greatest invitation into the deepest intimacy with God. It doesn't mean that you are not leveraging and working and going after the glory of God. It means you refuse to move on until he shows up in this moment. It means I am refusing to go any further. I will not go on or ask for a new word until God has been faithful in the last word. Until I have seen the fruition and resurrection in the last season. I will remain. I will be still. I will be found in the place of intimacy and prayer. It does not pardon me from prayer. It is an invitation to an even deeper, intimate place of prayer. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? And so we've left the church malnourished. We've left her malnourished. And she has begun to be lethargic, lazy, cannibalistic, eating our own. And then deconstructing our creator, which makes no sense. And that's the place we find ourselves in because we've built ministry off of not doing a thing in our relationship with God. And yet he invites us into this place that he, he co-labors with us in a place of victory. He's inviting us into this place of birthing things that can only come from this deep, intimate place with him. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? You see, Hannah it says that she's in distress. It says that she prayed. It says that she wept bitterly and she gave God a vow. And she did all of that while remaining faithful to everything she knows about him for years and years on end. And the word of God records that he closed her womb. You want to talk about it? You want to talk about it? I got any mature Christians in the house this morning. God closed her womb. God closed her womb. Well, Pastor Matt, I thought he was always giving us over to life and life to the full. 
I thought he was the God who only gives but never takes away. I thought he was the God who only builds up. He never breaks down. Like, I've been living off all of these churches and podcasts for so long that I don't know what the real word of God is. The real word of God is that God declares about himself that he is emphatically, forcefully, entirely, in every single way, good. And that means if he closes a womb, there's good reason for it. If he closes a womb, there's good reason for it. Are you still with me? God will withhold from you to draw a prayer from you. God will withhold from you in order to draw a bitter weeping groan out of you. God will withhold from you to draw a prayer from you. You see, when I'm talking about how Hannah prayed a prayer that didn't just shake the earth, but it shapes all of eternity, we'll get to that in a little bit. The reason God closed her womb and withheld from her was to draw out this bitter, gut-wrenching, place of prayer. She says, I've prayed out of my vexation, out of my curse. I have prayed from the depths of my brokenness. What's interesting is that Hannah prayed out of her barrenness, and she prayed out of her barrenness. Hannah prayed out of her barrenness, and she prayed out of her barrenness. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? See, it was her barrenness that led her to pray, and it was her prayer that led her out of her barrenness. It was her barrenness that led her to pray, and it was her barrenness that led, no, it was her prayer that led her out of her barrenness. It was this moment. Barrenness brought this deep distress, this brokenness, this bitter wept, she said. This groan came forth from the inside of her and she prayed out of her barrenness and her prayers led her out of her barrenness. You see, the thing about prayer and the reason you and I need to be far more committed to it than we are today is because God knows what's on the other side of what he's withholding from you. God knows what the breakthrough is on the other side of your bitter groan. God knows what is on the other side that he is trying to draw out of you in that place of barrenness. Friends, there is a place in barrenness where you will groan, you will weep, whether that's in a relationship, whether that's an actual womb, whether that is in our city, in our region, whether that is in your gifting, whether that's in your calling, your place in the church, what God has placed you on the earth to do. If there is a barrenness in your life, I came to submit to you today, could it be that God is withholding from you so he can draw a prayer out of you? Because God knows what's on the other side of that groan. God knows what's on the other side of it because I'm telling you, we will hit it towards the end of this morning, that there is such significance on the other side of Hannah's prayer that Hannah never could have imagined, but there is something on the inside of her
something that knew God was in it, that God was able, that God could still do it. And not only could God still do it, it would blow her away. And so not only, friends, do we see Hannah get delivered of her barrenness, what comes forth from Hannah's barrenness, barrenness will actually go on to deliver the world of its barrenness. And we'll get to that in a second because before we do, we got to understand this. We got to understand this. God will withhold from you. Not just to pull a prayer from you. But there are things that God has hidden away, kept from you, withheld from you, that he longs to give you. But when he entrusts you with something, he wants to know that you in return will entrust him with it as well. You see, Hannah, she prays and she bitterly weeps. And we see she ends up having the son. And we're going to get to him in a moment, but she bitterly weeps. And you can tell for, for years, for years before this moment, she was faithful. She was faithful. While God in the natural was seemingly unfaithful to heal, unfaithful to deliver, unfaithful to make her womb create and give birth, while all of these things seemed to have been kept from her, there was a maturing that was taking place on the inside of her. Because she still brought a fattened calf. She still showed up. She was so faithful in her marriage. You see, she wasn't waiting to be faithful till God was faithful. She wasn't waiting to sow a seed until God sowed a seed, so to speak. She wasn't waiting to be a faithful wife until she could bear Elk Anna children. But so often, her barrenness ran parallel with her faithfulness. Friends, that is maturity. Her barrenness ran parallel with her faithfulness, and yet for you and me, friends, so often... Our barrenness runs parallel with unfaithfulness, disobedience, lying, gossiping, sinning, backsliding, and ultimately completely abandoning the bride of Christ and deconstructing our faith. Do you see the difference in generations? Do you see the difference in Hannah to us today? Do you see what God is able to breathe upon and what God objectively does not breathe upon? We can look at the prayer of Hannah and we can see there is one life that God will burn upon and breathe upon, and then there is every other life. Are you hearing me this morning? There is one. There is one that he will come low for. Friends, I am telling you today, there is a place in God where he is withholding from you, hiding from you, and keeping something from you, but he is keeping it in his hand of provision close to his chest so that he can draw you into his presence. I'm not preaching to anybody this morning. He, he keeps his hand of provision close to his chest to draw you deeper into his presence. Friends, I'm telling you, there is a resurrection 
of the fullness of God when he has the fullness of you. There's a resurrection of the fullness of God being released and released on you in this hour, not back then, not in the coming, right now in this very day, in this very hour, friends. There is a resurrection of the fullness of God that he longs to pour out on you, but he desires first to have your fullness. He wants to be able to entrust that he's going to bless you and then right away you're going to turn around, you're going to take that blessing. You're not going to covet it, you're going to sow it. You're not going to keep it, you're going to sacrifice it. You see, here's the deal. So many of us, we pray selfish and self-serving prayers. We do. We pray selfish and self-serving prayers. Whether it's big, whether it's small, it doesn't really matter. So often the prayers that we pray that we're asking God for are selfish and self-serving and will ultimately, in the end, give no glory back unto him because the fact of the matter is, Jack, you and I, we covet what we pray for. We covet our own prayers. We are more in love with what we're asking God for than the one who can give birth to it than the one that can deliver, than the one that can heal, the one that can bring fertile land to dry, barren soil. We are more in love with the fruit of our God than we are our God. And God wants to get something out of us. He wants to remove that out of us. I am telling you, there is a wild fruit-filled, fragrant, amazing, ablaze prayer that is on the inside of you that he is drawing out in the hiddenness, in the withholding, in the keeping as he draws you into him. He is withholding from you to draw a prayer from you. It's a dangerous prayer. It's a prayer that only you can pray. How do I know? Because Hannah is in the temple. And Hannah's right next to Eli. And Eli's got many sons who are also priests. And Eli is an awesome priest, at least when he started. Around this time, he kind of sucked. Not going to lie. If you read the rest of it uh, at this point, Eli wasn't that great. He kind of let, you know, culture in and was affirming of some things he shouldn't be in. Yeah, Eli had slipped a bit. And so this is a moment where Eli has actually grown unaccustomed to what it looks like when the Spirit of God breaks loose and acts upon a person. Because today, you and I, we have the Holy Spirit as Christians. Amen. The Holy Spirit was sent to us at Pentecost. Amen. We have the Spirit of the living God on the inside of us. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God only acted on a select few at a chosen time at God's determination and will. And, Elk, or, and Eli, he's grown a little bit cold to that. He's unfamiliar with it because he's allowed the lusts of the world to invade his temple, to invade him in this time. And so when he looks at Hannah, he thinks she's drunk. She thinks, he, he thinks she's blitzed out of his mind. He thinks that she is tossed, mad, falling out of her, out of her tree, drunk. And Hannah's surely not drunk. She is in a bitterly groaning place, asking the Lord for something that she will actually ultimately and longingly, lovingly give back unto him. But what's interesting is Hannah prayed that prayer for herself. Friends, what if I told you I can't groan for you? What if I told you I can't cry for you? What if I told you I cannot, 
I cannot. I will try to intercede the best I can. But what you are being withheld from by the Lord is not going to come from my sacrifice of late hours, from my sacrifice of tears, from my sacrifice of going without sleep and comfort to petition the heavens to move on your behalf and to bring fruitfulness from your barrenness. It will not come because God isn't attempting to withhold from you to draw from me. He is holding from you to withhold and draw from you. I'm not preaching to anybody this morning. We often, though, we live in a way where we're gathering brothers and sisters, and we need people to pray. We need people to have faith. We need to get stoked up. We need those moments. 100%. Absolutely. But I'm talking about a burning that breaks the barrenness. That won't come from my prayer life. That won't come from my sacrifice. That won't come from me going without to go up into his glory. It will only come from you giving up and going up into his glory. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? I can't groan on your behalf. Adrienne can't groan on your behalf. The sons of thunder in the upper room once one Wednesday a month cannot groan on your behalf. Abide our women's ministry. Women, they cannot groan on your behalf. There are certain things that God has hidden away for you in order to draw a prayer from you. And a lot of Christians, we think this is crazy talk. Well, Pastor Matt, what else did they have to do back then? She didn't have any kids to chase around. She was barren. They were Israelites. They went to temple. What else did they do? There wasn't cars, and there wasn't job, and there wasn't Instagram, and there wasn't side hustles, and there wasn't all these things that you and I do to try and get ahead in life. You see, Christians, we go after our breakthrough, whether it's hook or crook. We don't really care how it comes. We just want to move up in the world today. But God isn't looking for employees that will do whatever it takes to climb the corporate ladder of heaven. He is looking for lovers and people who give sacrificially to spend time with him, to be intimate with him, to learn him and pray to him and hear his voice and love his voice above every other noise. That's what he's looking for in the earth today. And we laugh at messages like this on the inside of us. That's not even possible today, is it not? Because last I checked, we died so he could live. We let go of our life so we could find it. We left mom and dad. We left brothers and sisters. We left all that we know all that we're familiar with, all that we're comfortable with, we left it all behind to pick up our cross and follow him. And the result of that is that you and I get welcomed into the single most powerful place in all of the universe. The prayer closet, the secret place. Your 5 a.m. wake-up call to spend time with the creator of the known universe. And I am telling you, I am so grateful that in my own life, he has withheld some things from Matt McClure until I was mature, until I was ready, until I was in that place of bitterness, not bitter towards him. I'm talking about the depths. That's not what he's talking about. Hannah was not in this bitter, disconcerted, angry at the universe, wanting to burn it all down and send it all to hell kind of a place. No, it was this depths, this raw, nothing sweet, nothing sugar-coated, just honest, raw feeling of I know who my God is and what he is capable of.
And she prayed the single, one of the single most powerful prayers, not just in all of the Bible, not just in all of the earth, but one of the single most powerful prayers in the story of eternity. See, Eli, Eli couldn't pray for her. Elkanah, Elkanah couldn't pray for her. Elkanah thought he was enough for her. It's interesting how when you're in that place of God trying to draw a prayer out of you, where you're experiencing a barrenness season, that a lot of substitutes that look real good and real appealing will try to rise up to, to sedate you from the spirits leading on your life. But really, it is counterfeit, and it will rob you of the promise that God has for your life. If Elkanah would have been enough for her, she would have went without what was about to happen. And we, you and I, we would have went without what was about to happen. What's interesting is that Paniah rubbing her face in it wasn't her motivation for prayer. Wasn't her motivation for the answered prayer. The second she received her blessing and she found that she was pregnant, the second she conceived a child, it wasn't run and tell that. It wasn't look at me and how worthy I am. Look at how I work now. I'm a full, complete woman. It wasn't these things. None of that was on her mind. It wasn't, ha-ha, Paniah, God got me. Sucks to be you. Never happened. What's interesting about Paniah is that when you and I are in a barren season, our rival, as God puts it, our rival will always rise to try and keep us from the temple of God. And if our rival can't keep us from the temple of God, he will terrorize and provoke you while you are in the presence of God. You ever notice that? You're in a barren season. You need God to come through in a certain way. And the enemy just rises up to try and keep you from the house of God, the community of God. And even if you manage to make it here, he terrorizes your thought life. And the next thing you know, you are so disenfranchised with church because you're there and you're not hearing him. And somehow you are convinced that it's the church's fault and not the fact that you're listening to the wrong voice. And next thing you know, you're resolved to show up week in and week out. Gets looser and looser and looser and suddenly... Not only are you no longer found a community that could build you up, pull you out of your barrenness, speak faith and life into your situation and scenarios that you find yourself in, but now you're on an island with a longing that you've relinquished, but an aching that remains, and now you're doing anything you can to sedate and, and subdue and numb yourself to what you know is possible with God, but you're so hurt and offended and stuck in your barrenness that you can't even get your head around it. And you're alone. And there's nobody from your church community that can reach out to you or get a hold of you because you have ostracized every single person that you know. And next thing you know, you are right where your rival wants you. Away, away from the temple of Shiloh where God is able to hear you and move closely to you and draw you in and draw a pair from you. Instead, you stay back. And you leave and you forfeit and you relinquish all that God has for you. Worship team, would you make your way up here? But so often, that's how it goes. But see, God, the good news with him is that he is committed. He is committed to you. 
He is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. And when he decides to have covenant with you, like he has through Jesus Christ, he's more faithful than you and I ever will be. And that means he will remain withholding from you until he gets that prayer from you because he longs for us to move, move and graduate and grow up out of the immaturity of desiring what he has and moving into the place of desiring him that has it. And then from there, he can entrust you with something that you didn't even pray for, that you could never have imagined. Because when he draws that prayer out of you, it is a prayer, man, it will rend the heavens, it will shake the earth, and it will change all of eternity. You see, Hannah conceives. Hannah has a baby, and they're getting ready to go back up. And Hannah, so completely beheld into her vow, she says, Father, if you give me a son, she even knew what she wanted. She didn't say, I'll take anything, boy or girl, just make it happen. No, she knew there was something that God was drawing out of her. And when she got that groan out of her, that groan that gave way to a revival in her land, it was called Samuel. So much so that Samuel's actual name means God heard me. That's what the name Samuel means. God has heard me. Samuel comes, and his entire life is a declaration unto God. She said, God, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you. How many things that you and I pray for that are selfish and self-serving that we have no intentions? If God answered it, we'd actually give it back to him. Would the promotion corrupt you or consecrate you? Would the boyfriend corrupt you or consecrate you? Would the marriage corrupt you or consecrate you? Would the baby corrupt you or consecrate you? Would the role in church corrupt you or consecrate you? Your barrenness. If God conceived, if God gave birth, if God brought you what you are bitterly groaning for with all that you are, if he gave that to you, would it corrupt you or would it consecrate you? Because for Hannah, it consecrated her. And not only did it consecrate Hannah, it consecrated Samuel. But not only did it consecrate Samuel, not only was he this sacrifice, Samuel was called by God. You see, Hannah had no idea that when she was weaning him, preparing him, she was weaning him. She was so stewarding of this gift that God has given her that she did everything in her ability to make sure that she could make good on her vow to leave him at the altar, to leave him in the house of God. She raised him up, weaned him off of her, off of familial obligations, off of all of these areas that we as humans, we innately hold dear to ourselves. She said, I told God I would give him back to him, and that's what I'm going to do. So I have weaned Samuel 
And I will bring him when he is weaned so that he can be found, it says, in the presence of God. And when he is found and appears in the presence of God, he will never leave it. And so Hannah does just that. She leaves Samuel. She consecrates Samuel. She sets Samuel apart. That's what consecration means. To be set apart for God. She sets apart the child that she was barren in distress for. But that's what the burning, that's what the burning of God does. It breaks the barrenness off you. And what happens here is it doesn't just stay broken off of Hannah. Oh, no, 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 friends. The burning is unleashed. The burning comes forth. And I'm telling you, barrenness loses its sting. Barrenness loses its foothold. Barrenness loses its power in the earth fully because of what comes from Samuel's life. See, Hannah didn't know this, but God did. When he was drawing this prayer out of her, the machine kept her commitment. She kept her covenant. And she consecrated Samuel to the Lord. Samuel had a call of God in his life. He became a Nazarite, which means a bunch of different things. But basically, he's set apart for God. No razor will touch his head. He doesn't touch or hold unclean things. And he is basically just raised in the temple. But he wasn't just another priest. No. Samuel was a prophet. So from a prayer that he drew out of her became a prophet to the nations. And not just a prophet to the nations, a prophet to his chosen people, Israel. And not just a prophet to his chosen people, Israel, but to the king of Israel, Saul. And Samuel was Saul's prophet. And when it came time for Saul to be stepped down, for Saul to step aside, for a new king, after God's own heart, to be chosen, who was a part who was the factor? Who was it that was consecrated and set apart as an instrument to choose from the root of Jesse, the appropriate son? The smallest son, red-headed and ruddy, it says. The one that nobody else would have chose. But God had Samuel to do the job. And Samuel chose King David. But why is that prolific, Pastor Matt? quickly would you stand this is prolific because see Samuel Samuel had the moment where he was looking and sizing up the other brothers the other sons and he heard from God surely this can't be all that Jesse has you said it was to be Jesse but I'm looking and God you're not highlighting anybody to me and he says Jesse do you have another and he goes, well, yeah, I got this uh, small little redhead in the field, plays harp. It's kind of weird. He likes to hang out with sheep. He's not very big, but, I mean, I can get him. Yeah, go get him. And suddenly, what was insignificant to man was significant to God because it was David and the plan of David that was found in the prayer of Hannah. Well, Pastor Matt, make that make sense. I will. See, David, he longed to give God a home on the earth. Because David looked at his palace that he inherited, that he was called to. He looked at all his riches, all of his glory, all of his mighty men and mighty women and all the things that he had. And he looked outside and at one point he had, he had brought God back from Bedouin or however, yeah. And he brought God and the Ark of the Covenant back. Obed, 
Obadiah. Obadiah. Anyways, he brought God back and he looks out and the Spirit of God is living in a tent. He's literally, he's in a Cabela's tent outside. While Adam, or not Adam, while David is in a palace. And it was because of this love that David had for the Lord without even being asked or provoked. David just loved God so much that he said, I'm going to build you a house. And from that place, the throne of David, God said in response to David's heart to build him a home, he said, the throne my son sits on will be forever known as the throne of David. And to this very day in heaven right now where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, that throne has a name and it's called the throne of David. But not only that, friends, it gets better. On the other side of Hannah's prayer, Jesus came from the line and the lineage of David. And so when God drew a prayer out of her, a burning prayer that would break the barrenness off of her, she was praying for a son and God was praying in a son. Are you hearing me? And so when he broke the barrenness off of Hannah, it gave way for him to break the barrenness of sin, death, hell, and the grave off of the world and usher in the resurrection and the life, Lord Jesus Christ. Praise him. So we're going to sing. And we're going to close out today. But may it not be just another church service. May it not just be a moment where there's a young guy in skinny jeans yelling at you for two hours. Let it not be a moment where you allow the devil, your provoker, to snatch this moment where a groaning, a burning groan can be birthed in you, a prayer can be pulled from you, and God is able to break the barrenness off your life. And you and I, we have no idea what it will truly give birth to, but God does. I think we can trust Him in the place of prayer. Amen? So right now, we're not going to relegate. We're not going to allow any provocation from the enemy to try and steal this moment. We have no rival when it comes to our personal revival. Amen? In this moment, we will come. We will be found at the altar. We will rend ourselves, and we will allow that groan to be broken out of us this morning. And from barrenness, from barrenness, the wildest adventure that you and I could ever embark on. So I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to sing and I invite you to come be found at the altar to worship where you are. But either way today, church, come out of that place of barrenness and brokenness and into the fullness and resurrection of what God has for you. It is found in the depths of that bitter prayer on the inside of you. And like Hannah, more than you could ever ask, dream, or imagine. So Father, Father, I love you. Father, I thank you for the privilege. God, if we're talking about birth, God, I thank you for the privilege of birthing this message. God, I pray that it radically changes us from this moment. God, 
the reality of this message is not missed on me. And Father, I thank you for letting me be the one to give it because God, I know, I know in the inside right now in this room, God, that there is a mass revival in our region, God where saints catch the fire of God. They get the spirit of God. They move in the acts and deeds and power of God yet again because there is a groaning in this room found in the barrenness of our land and in our people and in your church, God. But from it, Lord, from it, Lord, will we see a mass revival of the spirit of God in our region. Lord, it's not missed on me. God, whether there's actual wombs that have been closed in this room this morning, that there's an area, God, where you're saying, call me in. Call me in. Maybe you've had a child in this room, and they're prodigal, they're wayward, and God is saying, call me in. Bitterly groan to me. Find me in the depths of you, and you will find the depths of me. I'm able, I'm drawing, and on the other side of your children, on the other side of your gifting, on the other side of whatever barren or death season you've experienced, I will bring forth a resurrection, I will bring forth a life, and I will bring forth an answer to your groaning that won't just live and die with you, but it will go on for generations. Oh, church, today, if we could just begin to understand that our prayers, it doesn't just echo in the heavens. It goes to the ears of God. And when it goes to the ears of God, it departs from the lips of God. And when it departs from the lips of God, it will ripple throughout eternity. Creation will rise. Creation will fall. Strongholds will be broken. Heads will be lifted. Masterpieces will be written. History will be shaped and shaken and changed by the prayers of the saints. So Father, I pray that you would highlight the areas that you have purposely withheld from us. Lord, that you are longing to release the fullness to us in. And I pray right now, if you got a groan and you just feel like you can throw it out, just yell, just scream, just holler right where you are. I really don't care. Be undignified as you must be. Right now is the place like Eli and the temple of Shiloh, you can make your gutterly groanings known to the heavens today. Don't worry about politeness. Don't, don't worry about diplomacy or decency. Right now, make your barren cries known to the Lord. If we knew the power on the other side of them, we'd never stop crying. We'd never stop groaning. We would never move from this place because we know we know the throne of God is on the other side of our groan. So Father, come. Move in this moment as the band begins to sing, as the saints begin to cry out, whether you're freshly saved or you're a seasoned saint or you're new here this morning, whatever your place is, this message was for you. Because God is saying, I am can because I am so won't you let me in in Jesus mighty name let's lift up a shout let's lift up a praise let's sing a song and let's groan to the Lord who is able in Jesus name worship team will you take us up just go in take us up team and let's see the glory of God yet this morning in Jesus name